0: Scan Our Nation, you have heard me mention Scranton Associates before on this podcast, and they are one of the partners that I trust with my company to make sure that I have some of the best products in the industry. I trust them because of their track record, and they have that track record because of their experience. How much experience? four generations of experience, and that spans over a hundred years. Scranton Associates can help you with all of your water treatment products. So if you have a question, especially in this hard to find raw material economy, give them a call today, and I'm sure just like me, you will be glad that you did and be sure to visit them at the AWT Conference in Vancouver at Booth 239. For more information about Scranton Associates, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Scranton. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, And Nation, whenever I get ready for a show, I always look at what we're going to talk about, what's going on in the world, what people are telling me that they need help with. And as I'm doing all of that, as I'm getting ready for today's guest, I just have to stop and acknowledge what an amazing industry that we are all in. And we are in industrial water treatment, and it is just an industry that has never failed to amaze me. We've got so many people that are willing to help other people to get them further faster, to get them to a higher level. And ultimately, I guess that's a selfish act because we're helping the entire industry. And when we can make the industry better, we all get better. Because the industry gets better. And I just see so many examples of that. I just got an email from a Scaling Up H2O Nation member, and they were telling me that they started mentoring somebody in their company And they were somebody that was doing okay in water treatment, but now they love it. And they just announced that they want to get their certified water technologist designation. So that is just amazing that somebody taking the time and working with somebody else has sparked an unfound interest in that other person that now they truly don't just do a job. They love what it is that they do. And they love it so much that they want to achieve what we consider excellence in the industrial water treatment world and attain their certification. Now, if you're in the same type of water treatment that I am, the certified water technologist designation is the one that you want to go after. However, if you practiced another type of industrial water treatment, I am sure that there is a certification that you can go after. And when we're talking about an industry that everybody's helping everybody, and this is my utopianistic view of water treatment, when everybody's helping everybody get better, when we are getting better, our customers are going to expect more. The bar is going to get raised so incredibly high that it is going to write so many wrongs in our industry, and I can do a whole show on that, but I'm sure you can reach back in your mind and think of some things that I'm probably thinking of. Those things just get corrected because our customers expect more from us. When our customers expect more from us, we start out at a higher bar and we can do so much. How do we get to this idealistic water treatment dream? Well, we do just that. We dream and then we figure out how to achieve that dream. And I truly believe it is all of us coming together and helping people get a little bit higher than where they are right now. So is there somebody that you know that could use a boost? Is there somebody that you know that maybe might know a topic as well as you know it? And go share that with them. When you do that, you're going to learn the topic even more And then is there a topic that you need some help with? Maybe you can ask somebody to mentor you. When you get together with somebody that is helping you or you're helping somebody else, and by the way, I think you should have both roles. When you're doing that, you're making sure that you're constantly getting better, you're constantly challenging yourself, and we are raising the bar in the industrial water treatment community. Hey, some conferences and different things that you might want to put on your calendar that are coming up. Here they come, the Water Pro Conference, September 26th through 28th in National Harbor, Maryland. For more information on this conference, go to our show notes page and we'll have that listed out for you. Another conference is the IDA World Congress and Exhibition that is going to be in Sydney, Australia, October 9th through 13th. This is an event specifically for water treatment, and if you are in the desalination and water reuse area, this is something that you will want to check out. IDA stands for the International Desalination Association. More information on that is on our show notes page. Something else you might wanna put on your calendars is Green Build, which is taking place in San Francisco, California, November 1st through 3rd. Of course, Green Build is where professionals all over come together to try to improve wellness, resilience, construction, design, all things around building. And there's just so many cool things that happen in GreenBuild. If you've never been to a GreenBuild conference, you are missing out. There are so much new technology that is revealed at GreenBuild. It's just a lot of fun. My friend Charlie Cicchetti is in this market, and he will not miss a GreenBuild. And I always get lots of great stories when he comes back to that. Again, November 1st through 3rd, San Francisco. If you're in the area, by all means, go. And for more information, that will be on our show notes page. Speaking of making the industry just a little bit better, here's our friend, James McDonald.
1: Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about azoles. I'm talking about benzotriazole and taliltriazole. And don't forget the second L in taliltriazole. First, why are these azoles used? Why is one used instead of the other at times? What is the impact of oxidizing biocides on each of them, such as sodium hypochlorite? What are the recommended concentrations of benzotriazole and talil triazole in a cooling tower or in a closed loop? When might you use a supplemental feed of azole to a system? Take this week to think about benzotriazole and talil triazole. Be sure to follow TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Well, thank you, James,
0: always giving us something to think on. Well, let's go ahead and get to our interview. Here it is. My lab partner today is Jeff Garrett of Garrett Callahan. Jeff, we saw you on a hang not too long ago, and I reached out and I said, we needed to get you on the podcast. You so graciously said yes, and here you are.
2: I'm very happy to be here, and thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. We're, we're going to have fun during this interview. I mean, your company is is impressive. Everybody's heard of your company, and you've had a long history with your company. Four generations, is that right?
2: Yeah, we have five generations right now because wow. my sister's son has just started working for us in Dallas.
0: Well, let's let's start with that. i tell you what, we'll, we'll back up just a little bit. So let's say somebody's never heard of Garrett Callahan. They don't know who Jeff is. Give the Scaling Up Nation a brief introduction to yourself.
2: I am a twin. I'm a fourth generation owner of a business. It is a privately held water treatment company. My dad and his three brothers did it. And then my grandfather did it before that. And my great grandfather did it before that. So um, I'm carrying on a tradition. I kind of say that I'm kind of steering the boat. I'm taking control of the boat over this time period, but I'm going to pass it on to the next generation. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just, uh, we're an independent water treatment company that is a national water treatment company. And, uh, last year we did about a hundred million dollars in business. So
0: nothing to sneeze at.
2: Yeah. We're, we're pretty fortunate. Got, got some really good employees. We love this industry. We really do love the people that are in this industry, including our competitors, all the people that we run across in this industry. There's some really great, wonderful people in this water treatment industry across the United States.
0: So. You know, the water treatment industry is, I don't know if it's different or if you really get involved as we are in other industries, they're the same. But my experience has been, even though we compete, I've never run across a person. Well, maybe a few, but most people, they want to help you. They want to give you advice. They want you to get to the next level. I don't know. Is that common with all industries or is that something that we just have here in the industrial water treatment one?
2: Unfortunately, I don't know because this is all I've done my, pretty much my entire life, you know me too. And, and I feel exactly the same as you feel. I'm proud to be a member of this, you know this industrial group of people. you know, you're you're absolutely right. There, there's people in this industry that want to help other people, which is you know what we should all be doing. Look, customer first, right? We're all in business because for the customer, right?
0: And how many times have you started a conversation with a customer and if you started it and they didn't know anything about water treatment, it would have been such an easier conversation. But now we've got to overcome the damage that somebody else has done. So if we can just eliminate that, if we are all working together and and try to make it so we do all start out at the point where we know what regular water treatment is, we sell it properly, we sell it honestly, we communicate it properly and honestly, it just makes it easier all around.
2: Yes. There's so much business to go around for these companies. You know, like I say, anywhere we do well, really well we only have 10 to 15% of the business so there's 90 85 to 90% of the business we don't have there's going to be some of it we're not going to be able to get and some of it we don't want but there's a good chunk of 50 60% of the business that we still could would love to have and so there's opportunities for everybody i mean we're we really are in a in a great little period of time in the water treatment industry where we're seeing the larger competitors not do training. There's a lot of weakness as far as, you know, it used to be that the companies like Garrett Callahan or other companies like us, the privately held companies would be hiring people who were Olin or from Calgon or Mogul or who knows, you know, there was all these companies and they were really doing some really wonderful training. We, we hired a bunch of Dearborn people who were incredibly brilliant. And the same with, we had a bunch of people in our technical department here from Calgon, you know, that had, that had worked at Calgon and those people were just dynamite. That's where my dad's from. Oh, it's just, you know, I mean, just dynamite companies and all those are gone. They're all of them are gone.
0: Yeah. It was the six pack. What was, what, what was the six pack?
2: Well, it was, it, it, it was Drew, right? It was probably Drew and, and Nalco and Betts and Olin, Calgon. And Mogul back then, back in mm-hmm. the, you know, when I was in Dallas and when my dad moved to Dallas in 59 from California to open up the Southwest uh, for our company. And when he moved out there, Mogul was the player. I mean, there was a little bit of Nalco, there was Dearborn and there was Olin, there was Calgon, but the real player in the field was Mogul, you know. And all through the 90s, Mogul was pretty strong at least in the Southwest, because they had a, they had a really great district manager there and, you know, and that's, and that's the key to, to just about anything. And, and we all know this is in, in the water treatment companies, you really are really good when you have a good rep or a good manager there. I mean, that's the key to the whole thing. I mean, it's just, it just makes it happen, you know, and, uh, and that's what they had for many years, well-trained, really good managers taking care of the customers and, you know, those were the days of chromate and the acid, you know, the pentachlorphenates. You know, were, my dad said they didn't even hardly use biocides because they, you put chromate in the cooling tower. And then you put acid in and you get the pH low and the chromates are, you know, it's like, boom, you're, you're good.
0: I remember going and I wasn't servicing accounts. I was, I was small, but I remember following my dad around as He was servicing accounts and he would say, yeah. not yellow enough. We need more chromate. <laughs> <laughs> so it was definitely uh, different back then. Well, speaking of back then, let's let's go way back then. What what was going on when your great grandfather decided that he needed to start a water treatment company?
2: Well, he had moved up to Seattle, and then he was working for like Gorham Rubber Company, so they, he was a salesperson. And then he he met up with this gentleman named John Callahan, and John Callahan had a formula. It's called Magic. And that's kind of, we've kind of based a lot of things off the little magic thing. it's like, and it's a magic where you put this, and basically it was like lignosol and, you know, and caustic, and you would put it in the boiler and it would shave, it would take off the scale. So, and really scale was the problem back in those days more than anything. And then they just had little men shoveling up wheelbarrows full of scale out of the boiler. So they had a product called magic, and then they had a product called fluffo you know it it was used to coagulate all the stuff in the boiler to to blow it out. So then they started with that and then he moved back here in about 1914. So we started the company in 1904 and then about 1914 he moved back to San Francisco where he was from and then the corporate office has been here ever since and basically we've been doing mostly a lot of it started out as locomotives and things like that but basically you know it, it just built on that. I mean light industrial stuff was what we were doing at first. A lot of laundries and things like that and schools and things that had boilers, you know, it was all all boiler stuff.
0: So obviously you grew up in this industry. Was your childhood like mine? Did you go out and were you always familiar with that there was a water treatment world out there and that's what your family did?
2: Yep. I did, you know, it's funny. I don't know how it was for you, of course, you know, but that wasn't specifically taken out and said, well, these are, you know, this is a certain type of cooling tower, but I knew what cooling towers were because they were back then there were, there were these huge things and, and the little ones you never saw because they're on top of the buildings, but the big ones, the Baylor universities and all that stuff, you could see, you know, we, we could see those cooling towers. And my dad would point it out and say, yeah, we take care of those and we do those. And uh, you see the steam coming out of the building. So yeah, there was a lot of that stuff. So I, I mean, I don't know what it was like for you, but when I got out of college, basically my dad said, okay, so you're coming to work for us. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do after I get out of college? I got a business degree. I got a business a management and marketing double major. And, and I really loved marketing. I, I just really liked it. And I thought, well, am I going to be good at managing, doing things and running a business? And I didn't think I was going to do that. And, and even when I got hired, you know, I didn't expect it. I was 20, you know, five years old or whatever. And, and I'm expecting my older cousins are going to run this company and I'm just going to work for, for these guys. You know, I really started full time in 1986. And then, then in 1996, I came out to California. And then in 2001, my dad kind of just flipped it on me that I was going to be, be the president of the company. So, and then later that year, he passed away. So, and he, he didn't know, you know, he had no idea that that was going to happen. And then Matt and I, my brother and I, are just like, what in the world are we going to do?
0: Well, what role does he play?
2: Matt is an executive vice president. So he's, he's just basically my right-hand person. I mean, I've got actually a few right-hand people out here, really great people in this office, and I'm blessed that really do take care of me and, and help me out. Um, but Matt is, you know, he's my, second, he's my second in command. He's in Dallas. He's in the office in, uh, in the Dallas office with the, where my dad was. And it really is nice to just have all the people that surround me here. You know, just some really great people that work at Garrett Kelly. And and I know at all the companies that you know you're dealing with. You know, all the people that you deal with, you see the same thing. You're you see the people in these water treatment companies, and they're great. They're 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 wonderful people.
0: Absolutely, we we've got such a great industry that we're a part of, and you know you go to awt or another industry like that and uh, our association like that and you know, you're not just seeing people that do the same job you're seeing your friends yeah jeff let me ask what was the conversation like when your dad sat you down and he said hey i want you to run this thing
2: i can't tell you how strange it was it was <laughs> there was no conversation what happened was in, in 90, 1995 he came to us and he said hey I'm going to buy your uncle bill out. You know, I'm going to buy his stock and he doesn't want to work anymore. He don't, He wants to quit. So they want one of you to come out to California. And uh, he goes, and I want one of you to go to Atlanta because we weren't, we never, we really hadn't been in Atlanta. We weren't that, you know, hadn't, had never had a Garrett presence in the Southeast. And we wanted to have more of a present. We had a, great presence in the Southwest and a great presence in the West because of my dad and my uncles were out there, but, and really strong in the Midwest, but not so strong in the Southeast or the Northeast. And so basically my dad said, well, what is, what's going to happen? And, uh, you know, where are you guys going? And Matt says, well, I'll go to Atlanta. And I said, I'll go to Millbrae. So I went out, I came out here and, and I, again, I had no idea. I thought my cousin was going to be running this company I didn't really understand what was going on. And then that year of 2001, my cousin, he resigned or he just, you know, he quit. He was, he was 66 or something. And he said, I don't want to do this anymore. So then that's when it all came. And then we were at a board meeting in September and my dad said, actually, uh, Matt Colvin made the recommendation that I would, I become president. And I think that they were talking about it on the side and they just hopped it on me, and I didn't know how to respond, so I just agreed to it. (laughs) And then I'm thinking, what did I agree to? But it was good timing. I think it was probably the best thing that could have happened because otherwise, I would have. If I thought about it too much, I would have. Maybe I would have backed out. You know. So
0: Jeff, let me ask. There, I'm sure there are several people out there that are really leaning into this conversation because they're getting ready to go through it, or they are going through it right now. I want to say the majority of the companies that you and I know. Somebody there is looking for retirement. They're looking for the next chapter. So now they're thinking, do I now pass that along to one of my kids, to one of the employees? Do I sell that to an outside person? So for all those people leaning in to the conversation, what advice can you give them from your experience?
2: You have to imagine that we've been through all of those situations before. We've had people in our family who... Own stock, but they don't really want to be part of the company. And so you have to figure out how do we want to do this? Do you want to just keep the stock? Do you want to buy the stock from them? Do we do want to do all this stuff? I mean, it's a decision you have to make with your kids. Are the kids going to want to do this? Or or do you want somebody else to do this? We've got so many people here that are capable of doing this that aren't Garrett's. If these kids don't want to do it, I'm perfectly happy with that. But we've got about four or five nieces and nephews that are pretty interested in this company. And that excites me. I'm happy to have that happen. And if they don't want to do it, then I'm happy to put somebody here in place that'll be able to do it. You know? So, you know, we're fortunate in the sense that we're, that we're big enough. So where we have a lot of options, I would tell everybody, you know, I mean, I would say to anybody, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to talk to any anybody who who has some questions about that um, privately, because there's a lot of stuff that a lot of ways that they would ask questions that I'm going to give them a different answer. You know, so.
0: Sure, sure. And that's very gracious. Thank you for that. Your phone's probably going to get lit up.
2: No, I, I mean, I, I mean it, too. I really do really want to see this industry get better and our reputation in this industry is going up especially because of like you were talking about this awt group of people these are the sharpest people out here i mean we go to the awt meetings every year and they're the sharpest people that i see and 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 they're and some of them are people from uh, these other water treatment companies uh, you know some really great experienced people and some really great young people who are coming into this industry that got lots of ideas you know so it's an exciting time to be here you know we you know you're not getting much innovation out of raw materials we never we're, we're really not you know there's raw material manufacturers aren't going to do a whole lot for this small water treatment industry they're going to do it for some other industry the tolly triazole or triazols, they're doing that for the metal hardening or whatever you know uh, water treatment is just a very small portion of the business so the innovation is going to come in technology and equipment, more so than anything I see in the future. And that's really what we're seeing right now is some really great equipment stuff and, and things like that. And those are the things that are going to make us more valuable to the customer.
0: Well, let's start with that. I've got a couple I've got lots of things I want to ask you, but I'm a back to the future fan. So if you were to borrow my flux capacitor-equipped DeLorean and we were to go 30 years into the future, what would we see for this industry?
2: I think you're gonna see a lot more pretreatment, more filtration, a lot more care and concern for the higher value water, you know, the ROs and the, the, you're going to see more polishing. You're going to see more, more recapture of the bleeds. And I I was reading some article and it said golf courses are going to probably be going away, you know, and, and they're talking about things like that, you know, especially out here in California, they just require too much water, you know, they're water thirsty. So we're going to have to figure out a way To recapture, reclaim, and reuse our water, you know, or do ways where we can use it where it's at a such a high quality that we're able to reuse it a lot more. Those are the things that I see. I'm hopeful that the chemicals will get better. And I'm assuming that we're probably going to see people using less chemicals, as trying to use as less chemicals. We we have a, a, a very large customer that's basically told us we are actively looking for ways to get rid of you i mean that's you know that's i mean that's how they, that's what they're saying to us so they they're looking at ways to not use chemical they're looking at ways that anything they can do and we have to be all cognizant of that in the industry if we're not we're going to you know if we just keep doing the same old stuff a lot of it's going to have to do with technology and equipment there's some great equipment out there. I mean, the great the manufacturers are getting really good at the equipment now too.
0: Well, speaking of chemistries, raw materials, supplies, really interesting times we're going through right now. <laughs> uh, what do you think? You think that uh, that we will get back to normal? Is this the new normal? Do we need to look for totally new ways to do things? What do you think?
2: No, you know what we need to do is we need to support these companies in the United States that are, that are the US amines and things like that, you know, Absolutely. and we, and we need to do a better job of protecting them. So the, the, the polls or the checks or whoever can't, you know, set up a, an amine facility over there and make it half, you know, half of our price, you know, and what I see is I see a big move back into this country for, uh, manufacturing of raw materials. It's not even really that hard. It's just setting it up. And the good thing is now we've got the ability, or at least these, these, uh, the producers have the ability to get up to date equipment and, uh, you know, things that are going to make their processes much smoother. We, uh, we have a couple of, of really, some really great vendors out here who are, truly capable of manufacturing pretty much anything and that's the key right there you know getting it made in this country um we have we had a discussion yesterday with our supply chain manager and our factory manager over our five factories and we're we're back on track we've got you know we were having a problem getting 30 gallon drums i think everybody was having a problem getting 30 pound drums that seems to have been resolved for the time being the uh, the triazoles and the amines and all that stuff seems to be resolved we are getting we are back up we've got the stock back you know and and from what our factory manager says he says no problems getting anything anymore so that's not a guarantee that we're not going that's not going to happen in 6 months but we buy a lot of our raw materials here in this in this in this country. You know, we do all our business in this country, so we feel like we should buy all our raw and plus we trust the raw materials in our country more. I mean, we we've, we've used raw materials, and then after the third batch, you get if you're not testing it, yeah, it's not consistent. And so, the more we can do to support manufacturing inside the United States, the better.
0: Yeah, definitely uh, to underscore something that you said. You know, if all these companies do ramp back up and they do allow us to control domestically what's going on with our supply chain, we have to have the what's the word I'm looking for, the fortitude not to go get it half price overseas because we're going to create the same problem that got us in this situation. And I'm assuming if we're not taking all of these products from the countries overseas, that's going to help their economy as well.
2: Absolutely. And, and you know, there's, there's a huge cost in green stamp of the shipping across, you know, the Pacific Ocean or wherever it's coming from, you know. And that's another way that they're getting you. I mean, we're, we, were, we were sending out containers for $1,500. They ended up costing us $15,000 to go across over to Asia.
0: I've heard numbers even higher than that. I've heard that the average water treater is paying upwards of 60 cents a pound just to cover the shipping.
2: I would not doubt it. We include shipping in our product, and I and I think that most of the companies l- like us do. But I know that some of our big competitors they charge shipping. It's a separate line item. They, they get a bill from the from the shipper. They don't. They're not paying for the shipping of their materials. So it is an added cost. And the way that it can be used internationally is the shipping is used as a as a block you know, to a certain extent, because if if you want more money, you just charge more for shipping, you know, so it's used as an excuse for why that we're having some of these supply chain issues. So that's not going to happen as much as if you get it out of Indiana, or wherever it is, you know.
0: Jeff, let me ask you, because I think you and I have the same pet peeve. When somebody comes into one of our accounts, And, you know, if if we're messing the account up, they deserve to take it. I think we both agree on that. But let's say we're doing everything right. And they say, I'm going to get you a better price. What do you say
2: to that? We used to fight it. We used to say, we'll sharpen our pencil. And now we've stopped doing that. And we have found that that really actually works. You know, I mean, when people pay a little bit more, there's a confidence that they're going to get a little bit more out of it. And what we try to do with the, with the customers, we try to show them the things that maybe they aren't getting from their, from their present you know supplier. And one of the things that we can do is just show our expertise, show them, you know, go around, talk to them, include them in conversations. And it's not always easy, you know, but, the more you can do that stuff, the more valuable you make yourself. You know, you all want to be careful about the word "consultant," you know, <laughs> because you know. But we are consultants. We're water consultants. We're their consultants. We have to help them. Even some of these engineers. I mean, you some of these bright people that are in these facilities don't really understand the true cost of scale on on chillers, and and they are the true cost of a you know one less cycle of concentration. They don't understand this stuff. And and sometimes they just need, it just needs somebody to explain it to them. And part of that is just the relationship. You know, the one thing that I, that, that, that I found, I know you've, you've found this out too. It's all about relationships. You know, if you build a relationship with somebody, you're not losing the business for 10%, you know, for 20% less, they, you know, they'll find another way to, to, to save that money. If they like their water treatment person, you're probably not going to lose that business. If you do a good job and you, and 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 you take care of the customer, and they know you're working hard, you're not going to lose the business. They'll find other ways to do that. If the the reason that people lose business is either a change with the cheap engineer or it's a personality conflict. I mean, you know, pricing is just used as an issue. Pricing is just used as an excuse. Well, you're too high, you know. That means I don't like you, you know. I, I mean, I don't know that that that's necessarily what it means. Sometimes they like you and they still go for the low ball. What I've found is customers tend to put these things out for bids and bids and bids and bids. And, all of a sudden, and every year they get a bid for $24,000 a year, a low bid for $24,000, and they take that bid. And then they get frustrated when the chiller scales up, or when they're, or when they have to take the cooling tower down because it's all loaded up with scale, or whatever it is, or corrosion, or whatever. And what they don't realize is it is it really costs forty thousand dollars to do the job right. But you've convinced yourself because of all this low ball bidding over the years that that somebody can do it for twenty four thousand dollars, and they can't.
0: Well, here's the issue that we work ourselves into because we do a good job. We take that $26,000 account and they do give us forty or 45000 so we can do it right. We correct the issues. They've lived without the issues for years and then they forget they ever have them. They say, no, we got to go back to
2: $24,000. Pain has a short memory. <laughs> it really does. We've seen this over. I went. I went to some one of my customers one time, and they did this exact same thing to me. And I went back to him and I said, "How could you do this? I mean, you know, we, we've done. There's no. You had no problems for the last five years. And and they, they 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 just threw their hands up and they didn't. And then, like a year later, the guy was gone because he probably got in trouble. You know, he's probably not in trouble, but I mean, he probably. You know, he's probably like, oh man, you know, the system's messed up again and I want to deal with this. And I know it's tough for us to walk away as salespeople. You know, we're, we are conditioned to win. We want to, we want to, we want to compete and win, but we have to compete and win at a level that does everybody a favor. You know, that, you know, it, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, Obama said is that both people have to walk away wanting something in a negotiation. And I agree with that. It's true. Everybody has to walk away kind of like wanting a little bit more, you know, and it's not and it's not a bad thing, you know, but if you get all the if you get everything you want and I don't get anything I want, then that's not going to work out.
0: Stephen Covey would call that a win-win contract. So and, and then the, the next level of that is for the person to have the courage that if both parties aren't getting a win to say no deal. So if I'm getting one over on you, eventually you're not going to like that and you're going to seek something else. Vice versa for me. So why don't we just at the very beginning do exactly what you said and we both get a win out of it and now we can sustain that agreement.
2: I couldn't agree more with you. The good companies are doing a lot better job than the than the companies that are doing it for the lowball stuff. They really not they're not doing the Customer any favor and they're not doing our industry any favor because then the industry goes, Oh, those water treatment guys, all they want to do is sell water, sell a drum a chemical. They're just drum kickers, you know. You've heard that. And that just that irritates the heck out of me. You hear this stuff about bankers, and everybody goes, oh, bankers are, you know, they're all just a bunch of greedy people, you know, da-da-da-da. What about all those little independent banks all around the the Midwest and all around the Southeast that have given loans for people to buy their houses, to run their businesses, to do all these great things. And then you got a couple of big shots at Bank of America or Citibank or whatever that are, they're a bunch of scumbags and everybody blames all the bankers for being scumbags. And that's what's happening. That's what happens to our industry. You have these people who go in, all they do is sell stuff and then they walk away. They don't take care of anything then the prospects all say the same thing. They go, Oh, you water treatment people are all the same. All you do is just walk in and you, you sell me something and you walk away. You don't do anything, you know, and it, and it hurts our industry. We have walked away from some recent stuff lately that we would never walk away from. And one of them, we got a call back on. And they said, well, come on back. We had a big customer out in Colorado and, and we were cleaning their cooling towers every month we were going and scrubbing the the the, and these are huge cooling towers and they had open air distribution decks they left them open so they were always had green on them so our people were out there once a week brushing them with these hard brushes just get this huge amounts of biological stuff down into the cooling tower so we could get it with the chlorine dioxide and we came to them and said we're going to have to raise your prices because we were." We were going over agreement, and I think we were like we 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 ended up raising prices like thirty percent and as soon as we took that number to them, they said, no that's we're we're done so they said they gave us our thirty thirty day notice, and before the end of that thirty day, they called us back and they said, um you know what we'll we'll take that <laughs> we'll take that deal that you just gave us and uh it was kind of refreshing because it was like you know they went out and into the market and they couldn't find anybody to come in lower than us, you know, even with our increase in price. So we should not be afraid as vendors to go in and ask for the price increases if we're doing a good job.
0: Yeah. And especially nowadays, because what we're buying today is at minimum 25% more expensive than it was this time last year.
2: Absolutely. And everybody knows it. These 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 people in the purchasing know it. And Nalco is giving multiple price increases. I mean, we've seen 15%. We've seen, you know, another 10%. We've seen another 15%. I mean, the huge amounts of price increases from Nalco Ecolab. And I'm assuming some of the similar things are happening with other, the other companies, too.
0: Yeah, by no means are we talking about price fixing or anything like that. But if you're not keeping up with inflation, with the cost of goods, You're not a profitable business. If you're not a profitable
2: business, people don't have a job. Agreed. And nobody wants to work for somebody who's the lowballer. You know, your people want to work for a, a company that sees themselves as a little bit higher there and it gives you the other options. But it is like you said, the company has to make money. You know, you've got to make money if you're going to give raises, if you're going to do bonuses and do all the stuff that you do. I mean, every once in a while, I sign the checks that go out of here and just the stuff that goes out to vendors, you would not believe. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, it's just, (laughs) just, and I'm glad I don't do it every month.
0: (laughs) I hear you. Well, hey, let's shift gears just slightly, uh, because another thing that you and I really believe in is mentoring people. I've been mentored. I'm assuming you have had mentors in your life, and we probably, if we compared notes, we wouldn't be where we are today had people not given part of themselves to us. How do you pay that forward?
2: Well, by continuing to mentor, you know, by doing the things and by reaching out to people. You know, part of the success that I think that that I've had most recently m- is by communicating with our people, you know, and, and calling people, um... I even get my district managers and regional managers will call me and say, "Hey Jeff, you know do you mind just giving this person a shout out you know they they got this new piece of business or this or that and you know i I think it's really important to be recognized it's important also to feel like you're working for something that's that's you know that's that's making a difference you know you want to make them. Proud for who they're working for and what they're working for towards and making things available for learning, making things so they can better themselves. All boats rise with the tide, right? I also say one of the things I also say is the happier you are, the happier I am. So make people happy, you know, be a part of, of bringing people joy in their lives. And people, people know, people note that and they notice it you know, so if we want to continue this company, if we want, if we want to keep doing this for another 50 years or however long we can do this, we've got to have good people. You've got it. You've got to have a mentorship program. You've got to have, you know, I'm, I'm mentored every day by two people down this hall every day, one of them's younger than me and one of them's older than me. So you open your mind up to it and you try to help people do the things that are going to do every, you know, make themselves better. Can I get you one step closer to the close of this piece of business? About five years ago, I just started making random, random calls to people. Some of it was birthday calls and some of it was anniversary calls and stuff. And it's made a difference with me. It's mentored me. It really has. Yeah. And I don't necessarily get feedback directly from the people But I get feedback maybe from their their co-workers or their managers they will say, hey, I heard you called so-and-so the other day. And and, uh, I would recommend that all the people who run these water treatment companies and have staff, and especially when you don't have a huge amount of staff, call your people and talk to your people. Really, all people want to do is just, they just want you to hear what they have to say. And our people out there are lonely. They're driving around in their cars all day, going to customers or going to prospects or, you know, being told no all the time. And they need interaction with somebody who understands how they, you know, what what kind of day they're having and what they're going through, you know. So and that's why I try to reach out and try to be a little bit empathetic with that.
0: That's great. I think that's great advice for everybody that's listening. People, what's the adage, uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care?
2: Yeah, that's a great one.
0: Well, Jeff, you've got probably a good amount of water treaters listening to this podcast. We've got uh, the Scaling Up Nation, of course. So your next words are going to speak volumes in our industry So no pressure at all. But if you could get one message across to the water treatment industry, something that you either want to see change in, something that you want to fortify, what do you want to tell the Scaling Up Nation?
2: You know, the real message that I want to deliver is that we're all better than we think we are. We really are. For years and years, I under-SAV to myself, I, I did not give myself the credit that I did have. I learned these systems, I learned how to do them, and I learned water treatment, and I was pretty good at it and I always questioned myself. I always said, Oh these you know these Nalco guys are better, these bets people are better, and they weren't they weren't we are the the group that that I'm talking to here are the best people in the water treatment industry, and this group is just getting better and better because we are doing the things we're staying in this industry longer. There's a lot of great new techniques and there's equipment and technologies that are out there that are allowing us to really do our job a heck of a lot better. And we need to know how good we are. We really need to have confidence in ourselves as these water treatment companies and know that we're better than these big companies. All these big companies are focused on is sales. They're not servicing the customer. They're not doing the little things that add value to the customer. The the customer is looking for things that are going to benefit their business. What I've always said to our people is we want to be the little side part of their business that they don't have to worry about. I don't want them worrying about their cooling tower. I don't want them worrying about their boilers. I don't want them worrying about wastewater or RO or anything. Let us take care of that stuff. You've got enough Stuff to worry about with your elevators or your, you know, janitorial supplies or whatever the heck you've got to deal with. Don't let us be that person. Don't underestimate yourself. Know how good you are. Work a little bit harder than everybody else. Read books, read tech, read technical information, read the stuff that's online. There's a lot of stuff out there. Just get into it.
0: All right, Jeff, let's get into our lightning round. So these are questions that I ask of all of my guests, just to try to get to know you just a little bit better. So the first question, you now have the ability to go back in time and talk to your former self on your very first day at Garrett Callahan. What advice would you give
2: yourself? To know that you will get this. If you do the right things, and if you treat people fairly, and you, you just be yourself. You're going to be fine.
0: What are some of the most recent books that you've read?
2: I'm kind of a music guy, and uh, my brother-in-law gave me a Pete Townsend book, "Who I Am," and I read that. And I love Bill Evans. I'm a big piano, uh, jazz piano stuff. Uh, so I just read Joe Barberero's "Time Remembered" book from uh, about. It's about the kind of the last. Uh, last little section of Bill Evans life and then the one that i really love is the owls of the eastern ice and uh and it's about these russian owls these huge uh fish owls in russia and this guy is uh he went out and tracked them and uh and did all this wonderful stuff it was about 5 years ago and and the book just recently came out but it is a really really fascinating book about it's this, this lower southern peninsula of Russia that kind of jets into the Sea of Japan, and it, it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: When they make a movie about Jeff Garrett, who do you want playing Jeff?
2: Um, I mean, it could be some handsome movie star, but I was thinking maybe Jack Black or something.
0: All right. I don't know. I, I'm thinking Jeff Bridges would just do an awesome you.
2: Yeah, uh, Jeff Bridges. Everybody says Jeff Bridges, and I look like <laughs> Jeff Bridges. So I guess Jeff Bridges would probably be that. That would be the answer.
0: But uh, I, I think uh, Jack Black could definitely capture your sense of humor better. Yeah. <laughs> Last question. You can now talk to anybody throughout history. Who would you choose and why?
2: You know, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I would love to talk to my dad again he went so quick i never got to talk to him and uh i got down to dallas as soon as i could and by the time i did, could he couldn't speak so you know and i know he was trying to talk to me and i i just i'd like to know what he was what he was what he was going to say and i know that, that that's not really the, the probably the answer that you know the, that's the
0: that's a great answer
2: just kind of feel like uh he was taken from me <laughs> you know <laughs>
0: Uh, I had a very similar situation with my dad. Uh, My dad smoked more than he should. Shouldn't smoke at all. Yeah. Uh, But uh, his lungs were so bad, he had actually gone into uh, the hospital. He had broken his hip. And uh, he aspirated on a bowl of soup, and a bowl of soup killed him because his lungs were in just such bad shape. And I immediately went up to Richmond, Virginia, where we were from. And uh, by the time I got there, my dad wasn't able to speak and he was trying to say something and I was just able to be there for him and watch him pass to the next
2: life. So, yeah, that's a very, very similar.
0: Well, I want to really thank you for coming on the show. I'm pretty sure we're going to have you back. I think we just scratched the surface of things that we could talk about.
2: Uh, Hey, I'd love to be back. That's, I agree. Yeah.
0: So uh, hopefully you're, you're, uh, you're going to be on the next couple of hangs that we have. I always enjoy seeing you on those. And uh, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing uh, all the stories that you had and um, for, for caring about the community that we're part of so much.
2: Thanks very much. And I'm happy to be back anytime with you, Trace.
0: Nation, I got to tell you, Jeff really reminds me a lot of Jeff Bridges. So I think, uh, I think if you can picture Jeff Bridges talking to you, that's going to be a pretty accurate image. I love doing those lightning round questions. If you've ever heard me interview a guest a second or third time, I normally ask new lightning round questions. But I always like asking the same questions because you get a real good feel of the person that I am interviewing, and you can kind of compare those with other answers that you've heard from other guests. And again, just gives you a little bit more insight of the person that you are meeting on the podcast. I've known Jeff in passing at different AWT conferences, but I love having this podcast for so many reasons. But one of the top reasons is just the ability to meet people on a different level. And he's just an amazing guy. And as we were talking, you actually heard some of our similarities, especially with with our dads and what happened towards the end of their lives. So You never know what you share with somebody, and I want to say that that's probably the biggest issue that we have in our country right now is we don't look at what we have in common with each other. We simply go to what we don't have in common, and in a lot of cases, we choose our news that way. If we're not getting our news from what we agree with, we're changing the channel. If we are not getting our social media with what we agree with, we're unfriending people. And folks, that's just not sustainable. It it really isn't. For us to really improve the world that we're living in, we got to get past that social media mindset. We need to talk to people. We need to have conversations again. I mean, if somebody doesn't agree with you, don't write them off get really excited because guess what? You now get to learn a different point of view. And I'm not saying Jeff and I had a different point of view about anything on this podcast, but it just got me thinking that so many of us might not have even started the conversation because they're a competitor. And look at all that we had in common. And when I look at the Rising Tide Mastermind, we're all competitors but we're all helping each other through life. We're all getting each other to a destination a lot quicker than we could have gotten to on our own. And we're having fun while we're doing that. That could never happen if we just stick to sound bites. And if those sound bites don't match what you think you know, we hit the off button. So I know this is probably not you. But if this is connecting to how you are interacting with people, then just think you know, an opinion is just that. And people are okay to have opinions, and it's okay if it's different than yours. And if it is, get excited, don't get upset. You might learn something, you might change your mind about how you see something. And when you listen first with the intent to learn, I promise whatever you say after, that person is going to do the same thing. So stay out of social media concepts when we're talking with people and get to know the people. You're going to learn something. Nation, I hope you learned something on today's podcast. I sure love bringing them to you. Of course, a brand new one is going to come next Friday. We release every single Friday, a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. And you're probably wondering, Trace, how do you deliver amazing content each and every week. Well, it's because of you. It's because of the Scaling Up Nation. And you all have a job up there as members of the Scaling Up Nation. That is to let me know what our next shows are. What is something that you want to hear? Who do you want me to interview? Let me know these things by going to our ScalingUpH2O.com webpage, going over to our Show Ideas area, or you can leave us a voicemail And we will get that information. And trust me, my amazing staff will do something with that. We are always looking for what we're going to do next. We're always looking for what we're going to bring the audience a little bit extra. If you've been to our website lately, you have seen that our staff has totally redone our website with suggestions that you have made to make things a lot easier to search. And I'm just amazed at the amount of content that we have on that webpage. There is so much information out there. If you have a topic that you're trying to find more information out with over 250 episodes out there, chances are you're going to find the topic that you are looking for, and then you can listen to the expert teach you on the topic that you want to learn more about. So many great things that our staff is doing, and that is because you are pointing us in the right direction. So please don't stop that. Go to scalinguph2o.com and let us know exactly how we can help you on the podcast. You can help us by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast player. If you can take at least two minutes and leave a review, that does so much for us in podcast world because that's how every player ranks podcasts. And the higher ranking that we get, the easier it is to find new members of the Scaling Up Nation. And of course, as the nation grows, we're gonna be able to raise that water treatment bar just easier because we're gonna have so many people that are listening to the podcast and they in turn are helping the bar raise themselves. Nation, I hope you have a great week and I will be with you next Friday. Scale Up Nation, so many people that I talk to want to join the Rising Tide Mastermind, but they're concerned about being able to commit one hour a week for the mastermind calls. Folks, I have to tell you, when you experience that hour, you realize that that is the power hour that changes every other hour that you will experience that week. If we keep doing the same things, we will keep doing the same results. And that one hour a week allows you to get out of the day-to-day so you can work on your day-to-day. Do something different. Find out about the Rising Tide Mastermind by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.